want you to hold your space there and then also open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to continue into the book of John, and my gift to the mothers today is the uncompromised Word of God. That's my gift to you mothers. Are you ready to receive my gift? Amen. That's what I would love to give you today. So hold your place in John chapter 5, but go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I want you to see why we do what we do in our church when it comes to preaching and teaching the Word of God. So John chapter 5 is going to be where we're at today in the series, going through the book of John. But in, John, uh, but in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see what God teaches us when it comes to the Word. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in viewing of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Everybody say correct, correct. rebuke, and encourage. Thank you. That's what we're supposed to do as preachers, okay, with great patience and careful instruction. Am I doing that with you? Have you noticed I've done that with you in church? Okay, those of you who are up and paying attention, that's very nice that you would uh, pay attention and, and maybe compliment what I'm doing. If you're not checked in, that's okay, I still love you. But that's my job, give you the Word of God, and then if you look at the Word of God as a diet, I'm going to give you three components to the Word of God, if we could keep it up there, please. I'm going to give you three components, correction, rebuke, and encouragement. So do I do those three things? Amen. Do you get corrected here? By the Word of God. Do you get rebuked by the Word of God? Amen. Do you get encouraged by the Word of God? Amen. So I don't say that in any way to be out of insecurity. I don't say that because I um, am desperate for compliments. I say that for you to feel comfortable with what we do here on Sundays. So uh, church is not meant to be entertainment. Church is not meant to be just a hospital for your hurting needs. Church is not meant to be a cruise ship, in other words. Now, do we have things that are entertaining here? Absolutely. Things will entertain you throughout the services. Things will keep your attention. Will your hurts be healed here? Absolutely. How many have had hurts healed here before? How many have been entertained here before? <laughs> have heard things, seen things that you enjoyed? You're like, I'm glad I saw that. I'm glad I heard that. That was some great singing. That was some great keyboard playing, whatever. Okay. But more than that, this is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. So on a battleship, you could take time out to be entertained. That's fine. Soldiers got to relax their minds. If you've ever seen in wartime, entertainers will come on battleships, entertain their mind, help their mind relax. That's fine. On a battleship, there's also a hospital. You get hurt, soldier, we got you. But the primary focus of the battleship is to be in war. This is a battleship. We are not on a cruise ship. The cruise ship, the number one goal is for your entertainment and those various things. And so I want you to understand, two out of the three things may not come easy. Correct, rebuke, that may not come easy, okay? So you have to be willing to go through that. Number three, this is very important. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. So now at this time that we're in, because it says, it says the time will come. How many believe that time has come now? Can somebody say, ahora? Ahora, it's now. The time is now. We're in this time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Once again, this is not out of my insecurity. I'm just asking you, not that I'm the only one, never want to make you feel that way. Well, only Pastor Joe has sound doctrine. Oh, nobody, that's not what I'm trying to do. I just want to ask you this question. 
Have you noticed, whether it's from K-Love Radio to your friends on the job who are Christians to churches you have visited, have you noticed online memes, whatever it is that engages you with Christianity, have you noticed a lack of sound doctrine among Christians? I'm just asking. Once again, I'm not here needing you to applaud me and go, you're the best sound doctrine teaching teacher there is. No, that's not what I'm asking that for. I'm just asking you to check into what we do here. Is, uh, or is our culture, rather, in a drought of sound doctrine? Like right now, if you went to your Christian friends and asked them, last month in church, did you go? They, most of them, if they're Christian friends, they're going, right? Like, I went the last month. Yeah, I went, I went in April. And if you ask them, what doctrine did you learn? How many know most of them that would throw them off? They would say, what are you talking about, doctrine? Uh, Mother's Day was coming up, so we had four lessons on loving your mother. Uh, we had four ways to be a great home, home stay-at-home mom, or whatever. You know, uh, We learned how to uh, do this and that. There's a lot of practical application coming across pulpits like this. A lot of uh, preachers spending time telling you over and over and over again how you can have a better week next week, how you can make it through your troubles. Plenty of messages like pep rallies to help you do that. But I, I'm just asking, have you learned doctrine at those churches? And most of the time, they can't say they have. Very seldom in my Christian experience, when I get, you know, you may like this video because I've, I've listened to preachers. You may like this video and I listen to now another preacher. Do I hear sound doctrine? Most of the time what I will hear is about three stories. He'll talk about what his life was like over here or she'll tell a story over there. And they're enjoyable. I'm, I'm, let me just say it like this. I'm thankful, like Paul said, they preach this way as opposed to denying Christ, living for the devil. So if, if there's anything going on today or on Sunday, I would rather it be motivational sermons about Jesus than hearing, you know, uh, Muslim chants of prayer, right? Like I would rather Joe Osteen do his thing and still point people to a Bible that talks about Jesus than to have ISIS running our nation, to be in communist China, to hear the stories of um, Ganesh and Krishna, okay? So as Paul said, I rejoice that they're at least preaching. Praise God that something is coming from, from the word of God. I can't say that for the cults. I'm just saying this for lukewarm Christians. Uh, the Bible says God will judge them, okay? But when you come here, one of the key things you have to be ready for is sound doctrine. And one of the greatest attacks of sound doctrine is who the person of Jesus Christ is. And many people think like they've moved past this, like, oh, I get who Jesus is. But if I were to interview you as a theologian, as a quote-unquote scholar, someone who has a doctorate, someone who understands the traditional Christian belief, if I was to interview you and interview Christians, most of them would fall under various heretic heretical sex. Would you put up the Trinity image on our notes, please? Most people, if I asked you to begin to describe who Jesus is, they would begin to fall into the various heretics. So if I said, who is Jesus? Some might say, oh, he's God. But then if I said, is he God the Father? Or is he a different God or something like that? Somebody might go, well, He's, Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, Jesus is the Holy Spirit. But then I, if I was to say, well, then how is he equal to God if he's, you know, um, 
If someone say, well, he's the son of God. Let's say they go, well, I think he's the son of God. He's not the father. Then I go, well, how is he equal to God? Someone might say, well, the father is a third God. The son is a third God. The Holy Spirit's a third God. So they're all equally a third of God. Another person might say, well, you know, he's like God, but he was created by God. You know, he's the son of God, just like the Father, like, like a father has a child that hasn't always existed. Jesus hasn't always existed, but he has a high quality, a, a, you know, a, a, a high standing with the father, but he's created. If I was to ask you, can you be like Jesus as God? Some people might say, yeah, because God has, God is a father. He's also uh, in relationship with a mother, he makes children like Jesus that become gods, and therefore we all can become gods like Jesus and then make gods. You'll hear this even today, and that's what Mormons believe. But if I was to ask you to explain the, the correct version, most of you wouldn't be able to. I should say most outside of this church. Amen. How many here would give it a good shot? You'd, you'd give it a good shot. Okay? So when I say that, you know, do you believe Jesus is God? I don't mean to ask you, is Jesus is the Father? That's not what I'm asking you. Is Jesus the Father? Some people would say, yeah, I believe Jesus is God, therefore Jesus is the Father. No, what I'm asking you is, is the Son, Jesus, God like the Father, but at the same time, not the Father? And then is the Holy Spirit God like the Father and Son, but the Holy Spirit is not the Father and Son? Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. amen. Now, going back to that scripture in 2 Timothy, just as the introduction, it says, they will not put up with sound doctrine. So there will be people who will think what I just went over is not interesting to them. What is more interesting to them is me telling you five more tips on how to be a good mom. Uh, five more ways for you to get along with your family because Father's Day is coming up. And those practical advices from the Scripture are good. I'm glad that our Scriptures also give practical advice on how to do that. But first and foremost, you got to know who Jesus is. Because when Jesus was talking to the people about the Holy Spirit, he said, when you ask the Father, he'll send you the Holy Spirit. And then he gives them this example. You as fathers, though being evil, he said, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your father know how to give you the Holy Spirit when you ask? So notice what Jesus said in that sentence. He said, though you being evil, know how to do these things. In other words, in one way, in a cultural way, you could be a great mother, a great father, and then in another way, in a spiritual way, you can be evil. Because God defines good and evil not based on cultural norms. So in other words, a culturally good mother, a culturally good father who provides for their children can still go to hell on judgment day. Why? Because heaven and hell is not based on whether or not you're a good mother or a good father. It is based on your acceptance of Christ as your Lord or the rejection of Christ as your Lord, and you, yourself, and I, me, myself, and I, are your trinity that you serve. So on Judgment Day, there will either be Christ followers who are welcome into the kingdom of God because they have said, not my will, but your will be done. 
Or there will be those on judgment day that God says to them, depart from me, for it was your will, not my will, be done. Does everybody get that? On judgment day, Christians will either be crying out like, you know, God, it's not my will, your will. And he'll say, well done. Or God will then punish those and say, you said, not my will, but your will. Here's where it leads. And so what we have to understand is that Christianity, Christ-likeness, following Christ, being disciples of Jesus, is not something that we do to the tickling of the ear. It's based upon the doctrine, on the teaching of who he is. And a part of that corrects us. It corrects our understanding about who we think God is because we don't all know here who God is and all these different details. It will rebuke our behaviors and change the way we live because not everything your conscience is cool with, God is cool with. How many of you got to the point in your conscience you could take the name of the Lord in vain, you could blaspheme and be all right? How many got away with it in their conscience? I know I did. I could say the name of the Lord in vain as a cuss word and just go on with my day. No conviction. Because I would wear my conscience down to the part where that was normal. How many of you, if it wasn't blasphemy, had other sins that you now know are sins, but you lived in them day after day after day, and you never were staying up late at night examining yourself. You never thought twice about the pornography. You never thought twice about how you lied to your boss. Like you could sleep well at night. How many had sins that in your conscience you were cool with? Because that shows you that your conscience over time can deceive you. Now, there might have been some sins in your life that always grieved your conscience, and they never were okay with you. But there were probably, just like in my life, in your life, sins that after a while, your inner voice just was dulled. It was off. So the heart can deceive you. You can be deceived by yourself. And oftentimes, the lies we tell the loudest and most often are the lies we tell ourselves. I'll have a six-pack by the time of spring. I'm not going to show you if it's there or not. Just take my word when I tell you. It's not there, Calvin. But I told myself often and loudly I'll have it by the time it hits 80 degrees in Chicago. And that's Tuesday, and I'm running behind. But I've told myself I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But the lies we tell ourselves are normally the loudest and most often. And so it says instead to suit, uh, you know, instead of getting sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of teachers that say what their itching ears want to hear. So in this sense, just going with the six-pack example, someone could just tell me, well, Joe, it's not that important that you lose 20 pounds. Well, that's what my itching ear wants to hear. Well, Joe, it's okay. You're not as bad as you used to be because I used to be almost 280 pounds. By God's grace, I lost a bunch of weight a few years ago. And, and Joe, you're still alive, so take all that as a benefit, right? Well, that's what my itching ear wants to hear. But if I go out with John as my trainer, he's not going to tell me what my itching ears want to hear. He's going to correct, he's going to rebuke, and he's going to encourage me to lose those 20 pounds. Stop lying to yourself. Stop making the excuses, Joe. This is... What you want to do, you know it's good for you, get it done. Correct your bad eating. 
Stop with, and rebuking means stopping things. Correction means getting put back on the right track. Stopping means stop doing, uh, rebuking means stop doing a certain thing. And then encouragement literally means to infuse courage into someone to believe that they can do all of those things they're being corrected and rebuked about. Because how many know after you've been corrected and rebuked, you need a little encouragement? <laughs> you know, okay, you've told me I'm a sinner, I'm wicked, all of these things are bad about me, I need to stop this. Okay, what's the solution? Love Jesus, you can make it. He'll give you the power of the Holy Spirit. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. All of those things now encourage you. You're ready to take on the world, amen? Because the Christian faith doesn't just pound you with the scriptures and tell you what you're not. The Christian faith brings you to the point of Total, absolute humility. You either come to Christ and are broken in your heart over all of these things, or at one day on judgment, Christ will fall on you and obliterate you into a million pieces. This is the example we're supposed to have. You either come to Christ falling upon him as a rock, as if you've been lost at sea in the ocean. You fall upon him as a rock, and you're broken of all your pride and strength because you know it's only the rock that upholds you now. That's how you come. Or if you are in pride on yourself, uh, you, your pride in yourself and all your self-ability, the Bible says the rock will fall on you and obliterate you. So we as Christians, we are to come to God knowing that he's our only hope. He's the anchor of our soul. And then when we're resting on that rock, we know that the rock gives us all the strength that we need. Amen? So imagine that rock becoming an island that has all your food, all your water, and then you live on that island. You live in that place of humility going, if it wasn't for God, I would be sinking and drowning right now. Amen? So it says they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But keep your head in all situations and do our hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now go with me to John chapter 5. Verse 16, and last week we didn't even get past the introduction, so now today we're going to read the passage. I'm going to go verse by verse and hopefully get us a little bit further than we did last week. Verse 16 of chapter 5, please. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, when was he doing these things? On the Sabbath. As we've learned in previous chapters, he was healing people and telling them to walk with their mat, which was against the Jewish law. So Jesus is telling them to violate not a moral component of the Jewish law, but a civil or a cultural part of that law. So Jesus said to, take the, to this man, take your mat and walk. Because he was doing that on the, Jew, on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In the book of John, we begin to see this is the conflict now he'll have with the Jews that will culminate with his crucifixion. In his defense, now Jesus is going to defend himself, he said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Now before we read the rest of the verses, what does that sound like to you that Jesus believes about himself? What is Jesus saying to you about his self-identity? He and the father are like this, and they do exactly the same thing, which would equal what I heard somebody say correctly, he's God. Because all the Jewish people knew the Father was God. That was clear to them. And so as a defense to Jesus doing what he wants on the Sabbath, he says it very clearly to them, hey, you know the Father who is your God? You know how he's always doing stuff whenever he wants? I do just what he does. Does anybody get that? 
Now, would that be the appropriate answer for someone to say who wasn't God? I do exactly what God does. That's the kind of thing that I get the privilege of doing. You see God, he does all this stuff. That's exactly what I do. Does someone other than God talk like that and get called a good person? No, a person who talks like God or tries to act like God or tries to have God-like privileges and is not God is a lying lunatic. The person generally that we think of is someone that's a very bad, wicked, evil person. Those become cult leaders. They claim to be God. They're not. They do harmful things to people. And yet, all across the board, in all religions, when it's time on the playground to pick the players of your religion, what person is always picked first? Jesus. Buddhists love Jesus. Hindus love Jesus. They always want Jesus on their team. Now, what do they say about Jesus? He's a good person. He was a prophet. He said all these kinds of good things. That's true. But what did he also say? In other words, I'm God. Now, do you want a person like that on your religious team if he's not God? No. So then why do they put him on their team and then deny the reality of him being God? Because they actually pick and choose like a buffet what they like about him. So they go to the teachings of Jesus, like some of you might go out today to give mom a break from cooking, right? And as you go to that country, uh, that country, what's that, country buffet? Old country buffet, there, there you go. And you go to that old country buffet, and you just go take a little bit of macaroni and cheese, a little bit of ribs, go over there, get a little bit of ribs, and then have some catfish over here, you know, and then go get a taco, which is weird to get it there, but you'll get it, you know, you'll get a taco there. And then you'll sit down and eat, and that's like normal because that's what you were in charge of picking what you wanted on that plate. And so people will go to the life of Jesus and go, I, I like what he said here in the Beatitudes. I, I, I you, know, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Oh, I like what he did over here when he, he, he forgave a woman of her adultery and said, don't stone her. And they'll take that and put it on their plate, but they'll totally ignore this where he equates himself to God. Somebody say, I want all of Jesus all the time. There's a new gospel song. All of Jesus all the time. All of Jesus all the time. And I'll be doing fine. If you ever notice, country and gospel sound alike. They come from the same roots, by the way. And so you think about it. You can't have a buffet with Jesus because Jesus pretty much says about himself the only way you can really take him. You can only take him as God, Lord of all, or not at all. That's it. You can't do a buffet with Jesus' teachings and do justice to him. It really shows the desperation that people are going to to try to bring in Jesus for their false religion to have credibility. And it shows that the devil is behind that because the devil's a liar and he's a deceiver. Amen? As the old saying goes, much of rat poison is edible, and it's there to distract the rat from the actual thing that's killing the rat, that strychnine. Now, let's see if you were correct, because there were people listening to him. Verse 18, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, 
Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, so that was the first reason they were upset. So now they want to kill him. This is going to lead to the cross. Not only because he's breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So do you think the Jews misunderstood him or heard him correctly? They heard him correctly. I mean, how did you hear that? Hey, Jesus, why are you breaking the Sabbath? Like, who do you think you are? My father's still working to this day, and I'm working to this day. Well, it's pretty clear now who we think you, you, know, think you are. It's pretty clear now that you think you're God. Well, we don't like that. We're going to kill you. And this, in the book of John, begins Jesus' road to the cross. Each gospel writer will work out in their own way the narrative of Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, and his death and resurrection. John here wants you to see it in this way, connected to his claims about himself. Now, why is that important? Because John starts off the gospel of John. This is the apostle John. He starts of his gospel in John 1.1, telling you who he knows this Jesus to be. Scroll to the top of the notes, and in your Bible, you can follow along to John chapter 1, verse 1. Somebody say, bring it home. Amen. Go up a little bit further, please. I want you to see this a little bit further. When you look to the scriptures, starting in John chapter 1, verse 1, who does John conclude Jesus is? God. See, John has already reached to the end of his book in time and in reality. He knows where the book is going to end. So he wants to start you at the beginning of his book with where he's taking you. Not all the gospel writers do this. Some of them take their time like Matthew and draw out the genealogy, sprinkle in the prophecies, so that by the time you get to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, you see the one God. The name of God is now the person of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But not so with John. John wants to take a different route. John wants to sandwich it in, in other words. He wants to start with the divinity as the bun. He wants to end the gospel with the divinity. And then everything as the meat, he wants to show you the reasons why Jesus is God. Has anybody read the book of John before? Can you see that to be true? Starts off, Jesus is God. It ends, Jesus is God. What's in the middle? The seven signs. The confessions of Jesus claiming to be God. But yet he's not the Father. How can that be? The Trinity, as we now know it, looking to the end of the story, was concealed in the Old Testament. It was there in types and shadows. But in the New Testament, the Trinity is revealed. John wants you now to be able to connect the dots of the Old Testament and see how there's always been three persons that are individual in their personality. When we think of personality, personhood, we think of mind, will, and emotions. They act independently in their mind, will, and emotion as persons, but they are in perfect unity as being, as essence. He wants you to see that in the Old Testament because he knows that you, if you're reading this, already assume the Jews believe in how many gods? How many gods did the Jews believe in? One, Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, 
The Lord thy God, the Lord is one. He already is assuming you know that they're not going to start off going into all the depth of the Jewish history. So notice what John records in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? Was God. He is now showing you that there has been a person called the Word, and he's been there in archi, in the Greek, from the beginning. Where do we hear that phrase, in the beginning? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. So how far back is John wanting you to go? To the beginning. And at the beginning, before there's ever anything created, where does he want you to see the Word? The Word is right there with God and is God. Now, is it any coincidence that all throughout John's writings, we see in the gospel, Jesus being the word that came to the prophets. Isaiah saw him and wrote these things. That's what John says. John says, Isaiah saw him, the word, Jesus, and wrote these things in Isaiah 6. John begins to record that Jesus says, before Abraham was, ego ami, I am. From the Hebrew, Yohevahe, I am that I am, of Exodus. Is it any wonder that in John's gospel, we see that the word of the Lord, when we think about that, is not just like this coming down to the prophets, the word of the Lord came to me. Okay, here came the word of the Lord. No, when the word of the Lord came to prophets, John wants you to know that's the person of Christ, pre-incarnate, pre-incarnate. Carnet in the word carnade, or car, how do you say carnade in Spanish? Carnade. Say it one more time. Carnade. Carnane. Okay, one Spanish speaker. Laura, come on up. Por favor. Just come up and say it, and then I'll repeat it after you. Spanish lesson starts right now. Carne. Oh, carne. Thank you. Please forgive me. I tried so hard. Pray for your gringo pastor. Amen. Carne. Carne estada. Carne. Okay, there we go. A little red up here. Incarnation, because Latin is the basis of Spanish, and Latin is also a part of our ancient way of speaking in the biblical context. English comes from some of these Latin words. Before he took on flesh, incarne incarnation. Is everybody with me on that? Where was he? He's there. He's the Word of God. Now look at John 1, verse 18, just a few verses down, same chapter, same gospel. No one has ever seen God. Now, John understands that if you know the Jewish people, the Jewish people have written in their scriptures multiple encounters with God. Moses sees God, Abraham sees God, even Hagar sees God. All of these encounters with God are happening. How many have ever heard about God showing up in the Old Testament? He shows up. He comes in the burning bush. He comes and talks with Moses, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 33, face to face, on the plains of Mamre with, with Abraham in Genesis 18. Then Abraham intercedes with Yahweh 
face to face for Sodom and Gomorrah together. And now notice what John says here. No one has ever seen God. Well, hold on, John. What about all of those times these people are saying they saw God? Jacob even says he wrestled with God. Is Jacob lying? When Jacob saw his brother Esau, he said, your face reminds me of the face of God. That shows us that even in our times of finding difficult relation, uh, dealing with difficult relationships, that every human still bears the image of God. After Jacob had wrestled with God, when he saw even at that time who was his enemy, he said, you remind me of the God I wrestled with. We're made in his image, in other words. So what is John saying? We'll keep going. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Monogenes Theos. I guess I speak Greek better than uh, Spanish today. In the Greek, monogenes, one and only, Theos, God. No one has ever seen God, but the only begotten God we've seen. So now we see that John is telling us there is a God that we see and then there is a God that we don't see. But how many gods do the Israelites believe in? They believe in one. So now we have to resolve this conflict to understand what's happening in John chapter 5. Remember, John chapter 1 comes before John chapter 5. So when we get into understanding how Jesus is claiming to be God, and yet he's claiming he's not the Father, we now need to understand what he meant by that. John wants us to know his introduction is at play. Let's scroll down, please. These are in your notes on the app and online as well. Here's a great way to look at what we just read. In the beginning was the Word. That's the Son of God who we're going to know as Jesus. The Word, or the Son of God, Jesus, was with God. That's the Father. And the Word, the Son, Jesus, was God in nature and essence. Does everybody see what I just did there? Take your time. Take a look at it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the beginning was the Son. The Son was with the Father. And the Son was God like the Father. Now I'm going to show you there are some people that want to take that a different way and lead you astray. And continue on down now here, please. I'm going to show you that if you do not use the B and the C for God in different ways, you're going to contradict the Scripture. And I'm going to show you how that's going to play out. In John 1b, where it says, and the word was with God, pros, ton, theon, that means he is face-to-face with God. That is a person he is face-to-face with. So the word theos, God, is being translated as a person. God is a person, and we know him as the Father. But yet in John 1c, the word was God, the word was God, we do not now say the word is the Father. It is now not in the case of being a person. It is in the case of describing a nature because the word theos is in the predicate Nominative. It is describing the qualities of the subject who is the Logos. Let me scroll down a little bit with you, and let me show you why. 
The way scholars determine the application of God or theos is based on the usage and the context. If John 1.1c, that third part, meant the word was the Father, as modalist oneness Pentecostals teach, then it would be contradicting the previous section 1b that says a person called the word is facing the Father. A person cannot be facing themselves. How many know you need another person to be facing them? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Can you be with yourself? No, that requires another person. So it would be contradiction to say that the Word is with himself, and the Word is God in that way. It's not describing him as the same person he is facing. Scroll down a little bit. So this is how the oneness Pentecostal would be believing it. In the beginning was the Son... And the Son was with the Father, and the Son was the Father. Does that make any sense to person-object distinction? No. Because what they will say, and put up the uh, slide for me, please. You guys are doing great back there. What they will say is Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, Jesus is the Holy Spirit, just like Joe is a father to his children, a son to his father, and a pastor to you. Are there three Joes? No, so they'll say Joe is a father in one way, Joe is a son in another way, and Joe is a pastor in a different way. Are there three Joes once again? No, but can Joe, the father, be with, face to face with, Joe, the son? No. Joe, the son, cannot be with, face to face, Joe the Father. As we begin to read in John chapter 5, Jesus is going to be able to talk about the Father doing certain things, and then he does certain things. And there are things that he's doing, and then there's things that the Father is doing. In other words, he's in the flesh, the Father is not. He's here doing the work of a redemption, the Father is not. Can those be the same person? No. Can Joe the Father separate from Joe the Son and do different things. Come on, only one no. I've lost some of you already. Here we are again. Lord help me, second week. Last week we got a little bit confused and I didn't have as many notes, but I have the notes. Lord help us. Please, please Lord. Think about this. These are not trick questions, but they do cause you to think. Can Joe the Father, we're talking about this guy up here, okay? We lost who Joe the Father is. Can Joe the Father do something different than Joe the Son? No. Some of you don't get the no yet. We're going to go through it one more time. This guy is Joe. This guy called Joe is a father, okay? This guy called Joe is also a son. Is everybody tracking with me there? I'm not my own father, but I am a father to people, okay? I'm a son to my father, a father to those children, the six that I have, right? And I'm also a pastor, okay? The oneness argument is that there's one Joe, Joe the father, Joe the son, Joe the pastor. That is their redonkulous argument. I need you to understand it, okay? Y'all get it? That's what they're trying to convince you. That just like Joe is a father, a son, and a pastor, that's Jesus. 
Jesus is a Father, Jesus is a Son, and Jesus is a Holy Spirit. Now, the question we have to ask that person is, can Joe, if they're using that as the example, can Joe the Father face to face Joe the Son? No, I don't do that. Well, what if there's a mirror? That's not in heaven, okay? They're not mirroring each other. They're not doing, it says, the word was with God. He's not the person he is with in John 1b, okay? Now, that's why when we go to John 1c and it says, and the word is God, it cannot mean God in the sense of the person he is facing. And then the example I keep giving you is, can, because John 1.14 says, and the word was made flesh. Never said the father was made flesh. So here's a distinction between what the son does and what the father does. No one has ever seen the father, but the son we've all seen and touched and beheld him, First John says. The son became flesh. So that's why I'm asking you, can the Joe the father do something different than Joe the son? No. Joe the Father and Joe the Son, if we're the same person, we'll be doing everything the same. So it doesn't work, does it? Going back to the notes. Thank you. Glad we got it. Glad we got it. So when they say, in the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with the Father, and the Son was the Father, that's not what John 1.1 is saying, is it? What John 1.1 is saying is, in the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with the Father, who we know is God. And the Son was God. In nature, like the Father. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? But now there's another argument, another group of people who want to deceive you into believing something different about Jesus than what the Bible says. Let's continue on, please. This group, modern day Jehovah Witnesses, who are also known as Arians in the past, all modern heresies are from the past, teach that Jesus is a created secondary God. But this is a problem because it introduces another God that can be called Yahweh and worshipped as Yahweh. And we know from the Jewish people there's only one Yahweh. Okay, And so what they will then say is that there should be a letter put before God and it should say, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Scroll up a little bit for me, please. I'll scroll down the uh, notes. Keep going. And so this is how they want to translate it. And I have all of the Greek grammar experts there for you. In the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with the Father, and the Son was another God like the Father. Is that true? That's what they want to introduce. And if you go right up to the top, please write, have their translation go up a little bit, and you'll see a God. How many have ever heard a Jehovah Witness say he's a God? Okay, go up a little bit more, please. That's what they translated as. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was a God. So going back down now to my simple translation of what they're saying, what they're saying is, in the beginning was the Son. He's there at creation, and he's with the Father. 
but he wasn't equal to the Father. He's not as ancient as the Father because before those moments, he was created as a God, as a God. So they'll say, like how angels were created at a point, Jesus was created at a point. And most Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is actually the archangel Michael who comes in the flesh. So this whole time, they're worshiping an angel as a God. Go back to my uh, diagram, please. This is the idea that they're presenting. God the Father, at some time in the past, created the Son and then said to the Son, you can use the Holy Spirit as a force. They do not believe the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a force that the Son was created to use. Now, is that what the Bible teaches? No, go to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, please. How many are glad you came to church today? Okay. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Now, for a Jehovah Witness, you can insert the word Jehovah, which is a German translation of the Hebrew Yahweh. In English, it's capital L-O-R-D, all caps. All caps have been around longer than people being mad on Twitter. Are you listening? And it was meant to show the divine name that was sacred that people did not even want to abuse. So in the scriptures, they put that as a, as a reminder. That's the divine name. If you just highlight on it for them, the divine name will show up right here. Put up Lord. I'll put the mouse over Lord. This is the divine name. Yohevahe. Yahweh is the best way we understand to pronounce it. Do you understand? The Jewish people, even before the Christians, would put the word Lord in place of the divine name as a form of respect. But if you're speaking to a Jehovah Witness or to an Aryan, you can remind them that that name is the name they named their group after. The Jehovah Witnesses. We are witnesses of Jehovah. Okay? So this is what Jehovah says. Israel's king and redeemer. Jehovah Almighty. I am the what? The first and the what? The last. Apart from me there is no God. So you guys are idolaters worshiping a false Jesus. Yahweh says. Jehovah says. He kicks off divinity and he finishes divinity, and there's no other divine in between. I'm the first. I'm the last. No other God besides me. So for a Jehovah Witness to think that an angel can be called a God, even though Satan has been called the God of this age, we know that's a title to mock and ridicule him because that's how he acts, but he's really a false God. How many believe he's a false God? He's not an all-powerful being. Him and the uh, God are not wrestling each other. He's being mocked in that way. The God of this age thinks he has it under control, and he doesn't. His authority is weak and pitiful compared to the God of the Bible. Okay? We are told there's only one true God. Go to Isaiah 44, verse 24. Scroll down a little bit now for me, please. Same chapter. Look at verse 24. This is what Jehovah says. Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh, the maker of how many things? All things. Who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. Did Yahweh use angels to do this? All by himself. Now leave that up there and open up the new tab. John 1, verse 3 and onward. John 1, verses 3 and onward, tells us who the person of Yahweh is that made everything. Through him, all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Who is that talking about? Jesus. Go up to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, the Word, was with God in the beginning. Through him, the Word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, the Word was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Amen? Now go back to Isaiah. Go back to Isaiah. All by myself. By myself I made the heavens. Did he have any helpers? No. Go now to chapter 45, verses 5 through 6. This is why we don't come to the Trinity through philosophy. We come to the Trinity based on the revelation of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 through 6, brothers. Thank you. As they're getting it up there, I want you to understand that deception is always deceiving to the deceivable, to the gullible. How many of you fell from, for some deception during the COVID time? Let's be honest. Whether it was bad or good or ugly, sometimes it happened. Some on the conservative side believed everything from it was Bill Gates, Mark of the Beast, and all of that, right? Come on, let's be honest. Little gullible. And then the White House was going to be cleaned out by the military. Trump was going to help. And that's why some people stormed, right? And I felt sorry for my conservative folks because they were gullible. But how many know on the other side, people were gullible to believe that a flu, an influenza-like illness, an ILI, was worth shutting down the whole world for, making us all Darth Vader's and Nazis willing to turn in our neighbors so they could lose their jobs and their family. Gullible people can be deceived. Try to walk the line of where truth is, and if you don't see the truth there, then just tread very lightly. Maybe Bill Gates is still behind something. I don't know. Maybe the vaccine will turn out to be the mark of the beast, but it's not today, okay? And everybody who said Trump was going to be reelected, then it didn't happen. Now they're saying it's for the next reelection. Well, come on. Now. We got to be honest. Stop being so gullible. Amen? Let's, let's, let's be honest when we're wrong. Let's be honest as Christians when we do things wrong. We were right on a lot of things, but we weren't right to storm the gates of the Capitol, and we weren't right to think that the vaccine was the mark of the beast. How do I know it's not? Because the Antichrist is not here. The Antichrist has to give you the mark and attribute worship to himself by you getting it. It's not something to do with health, in other words. It might have a little bit to do with it, but it's going to be who you worship. It's going to be a sign, like it was in Nazi Germany, the swastika. It will be a sign of your allegiance, and then you'll worship an actual person, how uh, we've seen in times past with dictators, and it will be over the whole world. Look at Isaiah 45, 5 through 6. I am the Lord, and there are a bunch like me that I've made. I am the Lord, and angels, I made them to be like me. They can create like me. Is that what it says? I am the Lord, and there's how many others? No other. Apart from me, how many gods are there? No God. No God other than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now go back to John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Son, or the monogenes, Theos, the only begotten God, who is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So people have been seeing God all throughout the Bible. Can I give you a few examples? Go to Genesis 18.1. Many of you have been around for a while. You know these scriptures. Thank you for your patience. Genesis 18.1. 
And the angel appeared to Abraham. Is that what it says? And Michael appeared to Abraham. Okay. And who appeared to Abraham? The Lord. How many lords are there? One. So all Israel is being taught to recognize there's only one Lord, and yet they're told at the same time they cannot see him, and then in parts of their narration, they're seeing him all the time. It's like, where's Waddle? Where's the Lord? Well, he's with Abraham. He's with Jacob. He's with Moses. Go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. From the time of the burning bush, the Lord had been speaking with Moses all the time. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. The Lord, who does it say there? Does it say the angel Michael? Does it say somebody the Lord sent in his name? No, it says the Lord would speak to Moses. How? Face to face. Wow, face to face is the same way we understand John 1b, and the word was with God. Prostantheon in the Greek. The same way we, we translate this in Hebrew, face to face, Moses is with God, is the way the word has been with God. How is that possible? Go to Genesis chapter 19 again. Genesis chapter 19, verse 17. How is this possible? What you will learn in the Old Testament is that there are two persons that have the name of Yahweh. And then eventually you'll see the spirit of Yahweh bears the name of Yahweh. Now let's go down a little bit. It might be 24. Let's keep scrolling down. There we go. Verse 24 rather. Thank you. I always show you this to show you the two persons hanging out together enjoying fellowship. Verse 24. Then Yahweh rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Yahweh out of the heavens. But how many Yahwehs are there? But how many people can claim the title of Yahweh? Three, and you're seeing two of them right here. So there's a Yahweh, a person called Yahweh on earth, judging Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet, he's not the person called Yahweh in heaven. Does everybody see that? Can I hear an amen if you see it? If language means anything in the scripture, there is no way around this. If you have the hard and fast true fact that there's only one Yahweh, and now there's multiple persons calling themselves that one Yahweh, you are left with the doctrine of the Trinity. Would you put up the slide there for everyone to see it again? How else are we to interpret two people being called Yahweh? There's really no other way to do it. That's why when I talk to non-Trinitarians, I say to them, how do you interpret this? What they will do, as we'll see on both sides of us, the two popular ones, the oneness Pentecostals who believe there's only one person in Yahweh or hear that there's the one Yahweh who makes a lesser God the Son, they will both give the allegorical excuse that when it says the Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord, that's just really saying Joe the Father did something as Joe the Son or Joe the Son rather asked Joe the Father to do something. Is that how English works or Hebrew works? Does any language work like that? I'm going to ask myself to do something. That's how we talk in the Bible? That's how they talk in the Bible? No, it's not how it's gone. That's not how it's done. And then over here, the father is really just using the son. Well, tell me where it's okay for the son 
or an angel or a created being to take on the name of Yahweh, be worshipped, and not clarify that he's an angel. Aren't we told in the scriptures that when people try to worship angels, they're told not to do that? Isn't that what happens in Revelation? When John tries to worship the angel, he says, man, don't do that. I'm a servant just like you. And yet in the book of Revelation, the lamb gets worshipped with the father, the one who sits on the throne. Why is it in heaven it's okay to worship the lamb, but you can't worship an angel if according to them the lamb is just an angel? Jesus is just an angel. Look at Zechariah as another example. Look at Zechariah chapter 3. How many know in Jesus' incarnation he dealt with the devil? Come on, can I hear an amen if you believe that? Go to chapter 2 verse 10 and then I'll work you down to chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to how Zechariah writes about the two persons talking with each other in relationship with each other even before Jesus took on flesh. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10, please. As they're getting this up, I want you to notice I'm not having to bend the rules and call it metaphorical. I can take it at face value as I'm supposed to take the narrations before that and after that. Notice again the language here. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares who? The Lord. So who's talking here? An angel? Michael? Gabriel? Who's talking here? The Lord. What is the Lord doing in those last sentences, a part of the sentence? What is he doing? I am coming and I will live among you. Once again, who is talking? The Lord. What is he going to do? He's going to come among you and live with you. Amen? Now look at it next verse. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day. Okay, maybe he's talking about himself in the third person. That can happen sometimes in scripture. And will be my people, but then he goes back to talking about himself in the first person. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. <laughs> Whoop, there it is. Someone paying attention in Bible class just got it. Wow. The Lord says, I'm coming, and when I come, you're going to know the Lord has sent me. Hold on, I thought you were the Lord. I am. But then you just said the Lord has sent you. He has. Are there two lords? No, just one. What's the problem? Two of us can bear the name of Yahweh. But there's only one Yahweh. Now, I know some of you say, well, that's maybe a bit confusing, Pastor. Can you give me an example of other than God that is like this? Now, first of all, I'm not required to. Because who is like God, the Bible says. Do I have to show you a name being shared by multiple persons to show you that God is talking that way? I don't. No one is like God in a hundred other attributes. Why would we now try to simplify him to this attribute? If I can't see it on earth, I won't believe it. That's a wrong question. But guess what? I can't answer it. And so does the Bible. Are you with me? Go to Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, and then we're going to put it in the King James as well as the NIV. This is the written account of Adam's family line. Whose family line? Adam's. Please keep it on NIV first. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. 
This is the written account of whose family line? Adam's. The name in question that I'm going to show you is Adam. When God created what? Mankind, he made them in his likeness or in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them, and he named them what? Mankind when they were created. Do you want to know what the word mankind is? Adam. Go to the King James, and you'll see it there, Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. And I'll show you it's actually in the Hebrew. English translations may be different, but I'll show you now in the Hebrew. He created them male and female. He blessed them. Okay, we have a little technical difficulty. Genesis chapter 5, there we go, and King James. Thank you. This is the book of the generations of who? Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them and blessed them and called their name, called their plural name singular, what? Adam. In the day when they were created. So this is Adam's family line when God made Adam. And Adam is male and female, and not only just the two, but all of humanity. Just like, everybody get this, humanity, Adam, shares one nature, and we are multiple persons. God is one nature shared by multiple persons. Is it any wonder that our greatest example of one being being shared by multiple persons or one nature is it any example is it any coincidence that that example of a being sharing its nature with persons is in humanity no because humanity was made in the likeness of god can i hear an amen now going back to genesis Go to Genesis chapter 2, when God created them and told them to be fruitful and multiply, I want to show you, and the two shall become one. What verse is that? Could someone, there we go, 24, chapter 2, verse 24. I want to give this one to you as well. Put chapter 2, verse 24 in there. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and he's united to his wife, and they become how many flesh? One. Highlight the word one, please. This is the word for singular, one, and it's ahad. Now, put in another tab, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord is what? One, now highlight it, please, one. It's the same exact word, ahad. So when we say that God is one, we do not mean one person. We mean one nature. When we say that man and woman become one flesh, we do not mean that the husband and wife meld together and become one person. We believe they share one nature. So how many people are in the one nation under God, United States of America? Many. But it's how many nations? One nation. How many people are in humanity on this earth? Six point some billion, almost seven billion. But how many humanities are there? One. How many persons share the nature of God? Three. How many gods are there? One. Amen. 
Praise God. That's sound doctrine on Mother's Day. I know you're already making your appointments to go hang out, have teasing you. I might have lost some of the mothers there, but all I can do is give you what I got. Amen? And that's what I had for you today. Vinny, would you come, please? Go back to Genesis, or John chapter 5. We'll be here for the next few months, so if you didn't get it today, that's all right. Half kid, we'll be here for a while. Just want to read it again. So because Jesus was doing these things, basically acting like God, changing the rules as he wanted, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, in Jesus' defense, he said to them, My father is always at work to this day, and I too am working. Person distinction. He is not the father, but he's like the father doing what the father does. Amen? You've now learned how he can be like the father, but not be the father. Everybody get it? We don't believe in modalism. And at the same time, we do not believe in Arianism, where he can't do what the Father does. No, he can do just what the Father does. So how is that possible? Because he shares the same nature. For this reason, they try all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. Now, if you just give them a taste of what's coming in the weeks ahead, verse 19 and onward, he will begin to explain how he and the Father work together. He says, I can't do anything by myself, but I can do what I see the Father doing. Another person distinction. He is not the Father. Why is that going to be important? Because Jesus is in the flesh. Incarnate? All right, I got it. He's incarnate. He's he's incarnated. And so he's going to begin to explain why he will die, not as God, but as man. Just as you can die in a video game as the character, but not as the reality. Jesus is going to take on another nature. When you play a game, you take on another nature to work that game out in that world. You're in that world as the nature of computer bits and programs. You can die there and experience things that don't happen here. God is going to come as the son in the flesh, And he's going to experience things in the flesh that will not impact his nature as God. Does everybody get that? Amen? And he's going to explain why he gets tired, why he does what he does. Because people think to themselves, if he's God, why does he need to eat? If he's God, why does he sleep? Because he goes to sleep, you know? If he's God, why does he use the bathroom? As you're going to learn, just like you, if you're a human, why in your video game can you fly? Because you've taken on a different nature in that video game. Most of the time in the video game, we take on a nature that's exceeding to ours. Would you want to take on in a video game a nature less than yours? And I don't mean like a dog or a a game character, you could do cool things. I mean like literally less than you. Like you're this character and the character's insane. You're this character and you use the bathroom on yourself. Like, like would you want to humble yourself in the video game to be incoherent, unintelligible, uh, those kinds of things? No. See, normally we ascend in our video games. But Jesus in his incarnation is going to descend. So he's now going to take on potty as a baby when he created the entire known universe. I'm trying to compare this. Is anybody getting where I'm going here? He is going to take on sweat 
when he spoke words and created the expanse that we're still trying to find the end of. And he's going to get tired and sit down and need to drink water. Okay? He's condescending. Why? For our redemption. For our salvation. So that when you say, I'm tired, he can say, I understand. Now as the God-man, he will understand your situations. Even to the point of being tempted, he will understand because he's tempted by Satan. I didn't get a chance to go to Zechariah 3. As I um, had said, I'll, I'll read it to you now. But basically, the Lord says in Zechariah chapter 3, just put it up please in closing. The Lord says, the Lord rebuke you. Well, what's going on there? Zechariah is prophesying of what the Son is going to do when Jesus is on the earth claiming the power of his Father to help him. Because as a man, he's not going to use his own divinity to his advantage. He'll set the example for all men to call on the Father. The Lord said to Satan, okay, this is the Lord. Who is speaking? The Lord. He says to Satan, what? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Isn't that what Jesus is going to do when he's tempted? He's going to speak the word that he gave to the prophets in the name of the Lord back to Satan. He'll do that to set the example for you. Because when you are tempted with Satan, can you use God-like powers to defeat him? No. When you're tempted by Satan, you can only use Jesus' powers to defeat him. So in one sense, my brother, you're right, but you get my point. You don't have them inherent in you. So Jesus couldn't use that power for himself. Go to Philippians 2 quickly. Third closing. How many are glad you came to church one more time? Amen. Philippians chapter 2. Going down now to verse 6 and 7. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He made himself nothing, right? Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Help me, brother. Verse 9, please. Keep scrolling. Therefore God exalted him, the God-man, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, Jehovah, to the glory of God his Father. I get excited about who Jesus is. Would you stand up with me? That's why there's nobody like our Jesus. Band and altar workers, would you come quickly in closing? Mothers, we want to pray with you. If you're going through anything today, let us encourage you, lift you up. If you need anything from the church as in help raising your children, it's not just a day for us. It's a season. It's a lifestyle. We got your back in Jesus' name. Free of charge. Everything we do here is free for you. Counseling, babysitting, anything we can do to help you out, mothers. But most importantly, if you do not know Jesus as Yahweh, if you do not know Jesus as Lord, please come and pray with one of our brothers or sisters up here to accept Christ into your heart. The real Jesus of the Bible. The real Jesus who came from heaven to earth to save and to transform. And then for the rest of us here, if you're already Christians, if you would say, I already get this, I'm, I'm glad I'm learning, but I get this, I'm living for Jesus, ask the Lord to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, it's not just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Book, God the Holy Bible. It's God the Father, the Son, and what? The Holy Spirit. Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't. You need that fuego de Dios en el nombre de Jesucristo.
Ahora, I'm back on it in Jesus' name. Fuego, fuego, the fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Ask for God to fill you with this Holy Spirit because if I was spending time today on the Holy Spirit, we would learn all about him as his uniqueness to the Father and the Son coming to be with us. Are you ready to pray? Amen. Let's close out in prayer. Father, I thank you today for bringing us here. Bless every mother. Bless them as they spend time with their family today. And may Jesus become great in our life, greater than these false doctrines and misunderstandings. Lord, we pray for our families and friends who may have misunderstandings of who you are. Open their eyes. Use us to preach to them this week so that we can encourage them to truly know you as Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you. Blessed Trinity for giving us all that we need today. I, li- I pray, Father, that I will lift up Jesus by the Holy Spirit every day of my life. Before we go, could you just raise up your hands and pray like Jesus taught us to pray in the name of the Father. Come on, pray to him. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, and I ask that I'll know him more. And Jesus, I ask you today that you will fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can have the same power and authority you have. In the name of Jesus. A few more moments before we go, then we'll dismiss for prayer and worship. Father, bless them now. Bless our families. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Father, we want to love him and know him. Holy Spirit, help us. Encourage us. Give us wisdom. You said if we lack, we can ask. We ask for wisdom to understand the Trinity, to not be confused, and to now live in the blessed relationship that you've given us. This blessed relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has been shared with humanity. Humanity can participate with the divinity in the Trinity. This is a beautiful revelation of why he made us. He made us for relationship. They've been in eternal relationship a few moments. Just let God know, I want to know you more. I want to spend time with you. I want to encourage, uh, be encouraged by you. Have the power that you give. Anyone lacking strength today, ask God to give it to you. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody needing wisdom today? And now as we get ready to go, Father, we pray that we'll spread this message around the world. There will be other days where there'll just be encouraging messages. But today, God, this one had to correct some false beliefs. May we be open to it and be encouraged by it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord today, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? God bless.